Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. In this episode, we continue our ongoing series, Jesus at the Center of Prayer. The foundation of the series is gleaned from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, which presents the Lord's Prayer. Pastor Brian inaugurated the series with his discourse titled Proximity, illuminating our understanding that God is more caring than we realize. He is nearer than we believe, and he corrects those he cherishes. Last week, Pastor Brian further expounded on the Lord's Prayer, enlightening us on how Jesus educates us in praising our Heavenly Father. The sermon for today is titled Priorities, where we will concentrate on the interpretation of the kingdom of God as a contemporary reality and a future hope. Delivering today's message is Executive Pastor J.C. Thompson. Well, good morning, Brookwood. I am uh, excited to be here and continue our series entitled Jesus at the Center of Prayer. It's been an excellent series for me so far. I don't know how it's been for y'all. It's been great for me uh, as I have had lots of practice this uh, last two weeks of praying, uh, and we are excited to continue that. You know, for us, as Brian and I were talking about this series, one of the things we wanted to make sure was, what's the goal? As every series, as you're trying to figure out what, what are we doing, what are we trying to Uh, What are we praying towards? What are we helping people with? We really felt like, what do we want people to do? We want people to pray. Uh, And so when we wrote the devotionals, when we did our small group curriculum, when we are studying, our prayer has been, our, our method is, our challenge is, how can we just get people to spend more time in prayer? And so that's what we have been attempting to do. Uh, today, it is my privilege to share with you the third week, and my theme verse for this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 through 29, and it just says this, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, and I hope uh, as I read that, that those words do not pass by your mind, trying to get to the next phrase, you know, as much as been going on in our world lately, It is a good reminder that we are receiving a kingdom from God that is unshakable. As you sang earlier in this service, he will never fail. The verse continues that says, because we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. Now, the Lord's Prayer, which we've been studying in this series, begins uh, with kind of two different truths when it comes to who God is that we're praying to. First of all, God is our Father, and we can know that no matter what we are going to hear in the rest of this uh, series on prayer, the rest of this section that Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, we can know that the context of prayer starts with relationship, relationship to a Father who loves us and cares for us. And then the second truth of the Lord's Prayer is not just that He is a, uh, not just that He is a Father, but that He is holy. He is holy. He is powerful. So He starts, Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer by addressing God as Father, but then He also helps us understand what type of Father is He. He is an otherworldly, holy, perfect, and powerful Father. He is a father that hears the request of his people and has the power to do something about it. So first and foremost, we must understand that when we enter into prayer, prayer is 
first and foremost about relationship. And Jesus then goes on to speak in uh, the Lord's Prayer. He speaks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Jesus is taking this opportunity to teach us that this otherness, this holiness, this perfection of God, it has a place. And he wants to explain a little bit of that in greater detail to his disciples that when they pray, he can understand that God is king and that he has a kingdom and that kingdom is coming to our planet. So Matthew chapter 6 verse 10 just says this, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so in order for us to kind of better understand this concept today, I wanted to take a verse, that verse from Hebrews and show you, uh, lay that as the foundation for us as we begin to study the Lord's kingdom, know that it is permanent and unshakable and there is no one or nothing, no things that can destroy the kingdom of God. That's, that, that, uh, hold on. There is no person and no thing on this planet, either in the past or in the future or today in the present, that can destroy the kingdom of God. Okay, goodness gracious. Goodness gracious. <laughs> I've been studying. I'm going, praise the Lord, okay? <laughs> I'm just making sure y'all's ears are ready to hear today, okay? Hebrews is trying to help us by understanding that when we hear that we are receiving, we're getting to be a citizen of an unshakable kingdom, then that should reduce the response in us. And what is that response? It's a response of gratitude. It is a response of praise. It is a recognition that God being our king, he is perfect and he is powerful and there ain't nothing nobody can do about it. And that should create in us an attitude of thankfulness. And when we sing, we sing because all of the words that we sing that are true will come to fruition. So we should ask ourselves the question, how, how should we respond to the kingdom of God? How should we respond to the kingdom of God? Well, if you got your outline, you could take it out. Our first response should be recognizing that we have a kingdom to seek, a kingdom to seek. Now, what did Jesus mean by the word kingdom when he used that? And for us, in our context as Americans, that is not a context that we are, one, familiar with very much, or two, a fan of. If you don't remember, as a citizen of this country, we broke away from a king because we didn't like it. Y'all remember that in history class? We were like, we don't like this king telling us where to go with our money, so we're going to go make our own place, and we're going to decide what to do with our own money. Now, my job is not to tell you if that's working out or not. My job is just to tell you the history, okay? And also, when we think about kings and kingdoms today, we really think about it in a context that the, the Scriptures don't really speak of. We really see kings and kingdoms as celebrity figures, right? The royals. So anything we know about kingdoms today, we take from the royal family, which we just know as celebrities. And we know about their, their exploits negatively, and we know about some of the positive things that they give and serve in, but we don't necessarily have a great picture about that either. And this is where we come to today. We've got this picture. What does the Bible mean when it talks about a kingdom? Well, it means several things, and I'm going to try as best I can. This entire book from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, is about the kingdom of God and its reality both here on this earth and in the age to come. 
So I'm going to try in a, in a little bit of time to try and explain uh, a complex concept, which this is the most of my study time. So hopefully we get something from this, okay? Let's, let's pray that God will, will help us, okay? But first of all, the word kingdom in the Greek is basilia, basilia. Now that word means rule or reign, uh, and it talks particularly about a king is known by their rule or reign or the system in which they enact. So this first picture that this word would, uh, would and should mean to us is it should make us look towards the king of a particular nation or tribe. And we should know about that king based on the way the king rules, based on his reign, based on his picture of how society should operate. This verse in the Sermon on the Mount illustrates this very idea, Matthew 6, which just says this, we should seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he, being God, will give you everything you need. In other words, how does God describe the New Testament kingdom? He describes it as citizens living right in the world, with one another, living rightly, righteously, according to God's standard, not the world's, and that God in turn will give everyone all that they need. That sounds like a sweet kingdom to be a part of. There's a standard of behavior which is right, morally right. We should be right towards everybody. That's the rules for the citizens here. And also our king will provide all that we need. And he's a good king and he listens to his people. So we should be excited about that. We should seek God's rule in every area of our life. But a question that we should be asking on a regular basis is, what does God's kingdom look like in this particular situation that I am facing? When I'm faced with a choice, when I'm faced with something that somebody brings to my attention that I may not know about, I should begin to ask the question, what does it look like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? What should I decide based on that? What should I do? But that's only a small picture when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus also said this in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He said, the time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. See, when Jesus came in the flesh... He was preaching that the kingdom of God has come. Now, we know as well, well, it's not all the way here. So what what does that mean? Jesus is talking about a rule, and he's talking about it being present. But Jesus constantly preached that he was bringing the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. And so we can't miss the fact that there is some reality that shifted when Jesus came to the planet. Something changed. Why do we know that? Because Jesus said that the kingdom of God is near. It's here. So we've got to know that that is a part of the definition of the kingdom of God. And then the last portion that I think is important for us to draw out as well, we can see in the conversation that Jesus has with this rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. If you don't remember, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said this in verse 16. He said, teacher, What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And when he's speaking of eternal life, he's talking about that forever, not yet realized, eternity in uh, in God's kingdom and in his citizenship. What must I do in order to gain that? He came asking about the life to come. 
So what did Jesus say to him? Jesus told him in verse 21, he says this, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus, as a good preacher would do, he desires to repeat himself. So he says, I'll say this again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were shocked. They were astounded, the Bible says. And who in the world can be saved, they asked. Now remember, we see this picture when Jesus came to the earth, right? We see this picture of how did they equate the eternal life? How did they equate the kingdom of God? They equated the kingdom of God with power. And that power came through the abundance of material possessions. And so the idea that a rich person wasn't getting into the kingdom of heaven because that's how they saw God's blessings was shocking to them. And so what did Jesus say? How did he respond to their shock and awe? He looked at them intently and he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. See, Jesus here used two phrases to talk about the eternal life. Now, the reason why he did that is these terms are used interchangeably throughout the Scriptures, but he also had two audiences in view when he was teaching about this. So first, he used the phrase, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. Every Jew who would have heard Jesus say that phrase would have recognized this is the eternal life that God is speaking of. They would have connected with that. But the Greeks in that audience would have had no picture, no familiarity of what God was speaking about. So Jesus continued to go on to say the kingdom of God. Now remember, the Greeks would have served many gods. They would have worshiped many gods. And so when Jesus is saying the king of God, he is also trying to reach the Greeks. And he is explaining to both the Jews and the Greeks through different terms, and not only speaking about salvation, and one day entering into eternal life, but he is talking about the eternal life itself. Jesus is speaking about one day him inaugurating the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God fully here on the planet. And he wants everybody to understand these are the same. The way that you're thinking about these gods that are up here, the way that you're thinking about the kingdom of heaven's one day coming in to the Jews, Jesus is saying this is the kingdom coming to earth. This is what it would look like. And so I wanted to try and give you a timeline to explain what is a very complicated uh, concept of what is the kingdom. Okay, you may have heard this phrase, somebody uttered this phrase before, already but not yet. Well, this is the picture that, that we'll be talking about. So this whole picture from beginning to end is the reign of God. When God made the world, he made the world with a picture and plan in place that this is what life with God is like. So if you see that from beginning to end of the world, this is the reign of God. God is reigning, okay? But when Jesus comes, centered as the world and creation, when Jesus comes and is resurrected, that inaugurates the defeat of Satan. That is Satan's initial defeat. When Jesus said, it is finished, the payment for sin is in full. And because of that, because of Jesus, when we receive the Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our lives, we already get to experience the reality of what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven here on earth. It starts. It starts. But we also know the presence of sin is not gone. And so we are waiting 
until Jesus comes again. And when he comes again, Satan will finally be defeated and we will experience the fullness of the age to come. We will experience what it is like to live in a land where the presence of sin is completely abolished, completely gone, and only God is reigning over the earth. And we wait, we wait. Yes, praise the Lord. Now, Jesus spoke about this because Jesus didn't come exactly how people anticipated him to come the first time. He came in a gentle and lowly way, hidden uh, in a manger. So Jesus one day will not come that way. But currently, in the already but not yet time in which we all live today, Jesus is still working in a very hidden, secretive, and mysterious way. But one day, all those manifestations will come to light. Everything will come to light that's been made dark. But Jesus speaks of this idea in the parable of the yeast in Matthew chapter 13. He says this, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till all of it was leavened. Now, why does that matter? All throughout the scriptures, when, when the word leaven is used, it's meant to talk about evil. But Jesus was speaking specifically about leaven being good. This picture is that Jesus came. He started the kingdom of God here on earth, that new reign, that new reality that we live in as followers of Christ. And secretly, that is working in our midst today. We may not see it. We may not experience it all of the time in every way, in everyone else's life. But it is most certainly a reality. It is truth and it is working. But one day, that lump of bread that we all get real frustrated about when we see God's kingdom not reigning in certain places, where God is allowing Satan to run amok, one day it will all be leavened. One day it will all be made right. One day it will all be good. And so in your outline, I tried to describe this in two ways. One, the kingdom that we are seeking after is first a present reality and second, a future hope. First, a present reality, and second, a future hope. We can experience the spirit-filled life because Jesus brought the kingdom to earth already. It is here, it is here. The kingdom of God is here, and we get to experience the benefits and the blessings of that kingdom because we have God's spirit indwelling us. And so we can experience the peace of God. We can experience patience in circumstances that would not dictate being patient. We can develop long suffering. We can be kind. We can do all the things that by our human flesh are not possible, but by God's spirit, they are. And we can experience the tender, loving, powerful care of God our Father as we interact in this world. Well, listen, how do we experience that? How do we experience that more fully, what is already available to us? Well, first, we've got to experience that benefit, that spirit-filled life by submitting to God as our Father and submitting to Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. That comes through faith. That gift is given to us, but every day we have an opportunity to partner with God in the kingdom-oriented life, and we should seek after it. Oftentimes it's difficult to see because God is working in a, in a, a way that's not out there uh, for everybody to see. He's not trying to get all the followers on social media. He is working in one human being, one man, one woman, one child, one student at a time. 
But the first step that we can take is experiencing that life, experiencing that conversion to Christ through the Spirit. And then second, we must be repenting of our sins each and every day. We have an opportunity to put ourselves on the throne or continue to be aware that God should be on the throne. And that is something that we can do every day. Not only that, but we also should be embracing our identity as a citizen of heaven. It is our first and foremost identity. It is our primary call. It should trump every other identity that we should have in our life. Now, to me, I wanted to try and give you two pictures of how I think people kind of think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The first is this. We think about heaven as like a safe. And we know there's tremendous things available in that safe. The scriptures teach us that. But it's locked up. And we don't necessarily feel like we have access to all that stuff right now. And so oftentimes when we pray, our prayer life stops at Jesus come quickly. Now, please hear me say, we should be praying that Jesus should come quickly each and every day. I pray that he comes at the end of this sentence. I want him today. I don't want to have to wait. Okay? So we should be praying that. That is not a wrong prayer. That is a wonderful prayer that Christ should come faster that he should end all this, that he should come. We want to pray that. But this is often our only picture of the kingdom of God. We're waiting for that safe to be opened up and for those blessings to pour out on us as God's people. And one day they will. But that is not the only picture that we have of the kingdom of God. We also have this picture. Now, why do I use this picture? I recently took my children to a theme park. And when I, was, uh, when I come into this theme park, there's security measures that you have to go through. I have to open up my backpack. I have to open up my backpack at Dollywood, okay? All this in there is snack food, okay, for my children so they don't weep and gnash their teeth as we're going through the theme park and so I don't pay $22 for a corn dog, okay? But we're at Dollywood and we're at this, uh, this park. My children had never rolled a roller coaster ride before and so they have not experienced the glory of the wind blowing your face back as you are plummeting to the earth. They have not felt the temporary nature of life itself yet. Unfortunately, as a parent, I did the wrong thing, and I took them on the most exciting ride ever at Dollywood right at the beginning because we did zero research. We just did the closest one to the door. And so I thought that would be a tame introduction into thrill-seeking. And so this whole time, as we climb higher and higher and higher, and I'm going, this is, this is a little higher than I thought. I love roller coasters. I'm, I'm good. But I'm looking at my 11-year-old and 7-year-old who've never experienced a roller coaster. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not what I intended. <laughs> and we get up there. And I will not show you the picture. I have no desire to embarrass my children. But we got up there. And as we are getting on this roller coaster ride, I am thinking to myself, I have traumatized my children. I have destroyed any thought of one day going to these roller coasters with my kids. And they are crying and yelling. In fact, the, the phrase I heard was, make it stop, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall. Uh, now, thankfully, my children, as we teach them all the time, fear is a feeling, and we, our choices can be stronger than our feelings. So we're going to go up these roller coasters, we're going to try again. And they did, praise the Lord. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how. Uh, but after that, Kristen and I looked at each other and we were like, what have we done? We made a mistake. 
But they rode all the roller coasters that their height would allow them to ride. It was a fantastic time. Now, why do I share that with you? Why is this a picture of the kingdom of God to me? The kingdom of God is an adventure and it is an incredible adventure. And when you show up like this theme park, it's a momentary opportunity for us, a theme park, to, to not think about all the other things going on in our life, to just celebrate and have a blast with our kids, right? It is one thing. Now, at the end, when they give you the bill, not as much celebration happening, right? But I know for me, the kingdom of God is like this. There are tangible benefits available to us today. And God is writing out a plan for your life. And sometimes it does feel like, it does feel like, this is not what I had hoped for. It feels that way. But God is a good father, remember? He's a good father and he's holy and powerful and knows what to do. So in the midst of us realizing that there is a future hope which a good father and a good king has planned for us to experience, there is also benefits that are tangible that we can grab hold of today. And we can celebrate the fact that God has given us things that we can latch onto, that we can grab, that we can experience, that we can taste and see today. So the kingdom of God is not just a one-day proposition. It is a one-day proposition, but it is also we get to experience in part, in portion today. See, for me, there are real benefits to God being our king. Peace, joy, love for other people, and most importantly, Christ and his spirit. In Christ we have an advocate. In Christ, we have a friend. We have a model in how to live. Through the Holy Spirit, we experience tangibly the life of God in us. We experience peace beyond comprehension. We experience that when we are suffering, God is so much closer than we could ever imagine, and he tangibly makes himself known as comforter through the Holy Spirit's ministry. We have a king who listens to us. I'm going to say that again because in today's world, this seems shocking to us, okay? But we have a king who listens to his people. We have a leader who is perfect, leading his kingdom. We have reason to celebrate today because Satan, we know because Christ was raised from the dead, that Satan's defeat has already been initiated. We are living victoriously because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and we can know that we are already victorious, not because of us, but because of him. The reality of these two truths, a present reality and a future hope, already but not yet, is what we enter into when we pray. We enter into the fact that, God, we want it to be different. We want you to move. We want you to change. And also, in the midst of Satan still prowling, we can experience your goodness in the midst of those things. After that, after we seek God's kingdom, we gain an awareness, we look at God's plan rather than our own, then we have a will to serve, a will to serve. How do we experience the blessings of the age to come? How do we experience the reality of the kingdom of God drawing near to our hearts? I think Thomas Watson puts it a great way. He says this, knowing God's will may make a man admired. Knowing God's will may make a man admired, but it is doing it that makes him blessed. 
knowing God's will without doing it will not crown us with happiness. We must first realize that this is about our will and God's will. The will of God, our Father and King, and our will. Jesus demanded a response when he came to the earth. He did not come to make peace with everyone. He came to bring the kingdom of God here to this planet. And he called for a response. He called for repentance. He called for right, righteous living. He raised the standard of living. It wasn't enough. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, which I challenge you to read the Sermon on the Mount, what's it look like to live as a citizen of heaven? It looks like living the Sermon on the Mount. It's challenging. It's not just, hey, it's, it's, it's not, uh, well, we haven't murdered anybody. Well, if you've hated anybody, that's murder. Jesus is equating what is happening in us in a society that was telling us only what happens on the outside matters, Jesus was saying, oh, no, 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 what is happening on the inside, your motives, your hearts, your desires, that also is a part of your moral fabric. That matters to me. And Jesus is saying it's not just about controlling what's on the outside. It's about having the inside completely transformed into being a benevolent human being, loving others outside of yourself. And that standard was higher than anything at that point in time. And it's still the highest standard morally that exists. Jesus is not sacrificing a moral standard. No, he is the moral standard. He came to complete the law of God. In every jot and tittle, he did all of it. And he's showing you that that type of life is possible. It's possible through the Holy Spirit. He demanded a response, and he expected his disciples to do the same, which he speaks about in Luke chapter 10. Our will, our human will, your human will is called to yield to God, the king of the world. Now, our response to his will is not to make ourselves right as citizens. Our call to respond to his will is not to form some way of holiness in and of ourselves, it's not about us fixing the relationship with God the Father. No, we broke the relationship. We must come to God and say, how can we reconcile this? What would you like us to do? And Jesus told us what to do. He said, the kingdom of God is drawing near. Repent of your sins. Believe. Turn to me and believe in the good news available to you. That because of me, because of Jesus Christ, we can be adopted into the family of God. We can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit because of Jesus and Jesus alone. God makes us right. He makes us holy. He makes us righteous. He fixes the relationship because of Jesus. And we must make a decision to follow him. We must embrace the kingdom way of life. We must submit our will to Jesus's in the way that he outlines how we should live. As Christians, we should be asking the question, if I were faced with this situation in heaven, what would my choice be? If I were faced with this choice in heaven, what should my choice be? If Jesus were faced with my choice, what would he do? What does heavenly conduct look like in this earthly situation? What does heavenly conduct look like in this earthly situation? That's what we should strive for. Now, I got to tell you, sometimes this is, 
This is, this is tough. We kind of have this picture that because this safe that we talked about will one day be open to us and we know the truth that we will not be morally perfect. We kind of use that as an excuse to not even try. Like we don't even put in any effort. Now I got to confess something to you. As a dad, I have chosen a pathway to teach my children something that most of you probably will not agree with, okay? When it comes to sports or games at my house, there are no free victories. My children must earn victories. So if they drive the paint at my house, they get blocked into utter oblivion, and I wave my finger like Dikembe Mutombo and tell them, not in my house. This is not your house. This is my house. Get out of my house. Now, I know I will pay for counseling and therapy for them, okay? But oftentimes, my children will come to me and they will say, I don't want to try. I don't want to play. And I say, why? And they'll say, because I'm just going to lose. You're just going to beat me. You just win all the time. This is where some of the counseling will come in, okay? But... I, I try to help them explain one day, one day, son, because you decide to practice and put in some hard work, one day you will get to the place and you will probably be taller and stronger and faster than me. One day you will get to the place where you will beat your old man and I will be old and I will be frail at that point in time. <laughs> but when you come to that place, and you have truly earned a victory. It will be a milestone moment in your life and you will celebrate and you will say to me, not in my house, dad, this is my house now. And you will remember it forever and that will be the last time I ever play with you. <laughs> but sometimes I think this is true because we're not gonna be perfect, we just don't even try as if the watching world is not looking and asking the question, is there anything different about you, Christian? Is there any moral way in you? If the world is watching your life, which should be an example to everyone about what the kingdom of God is truly like, do they have an example that challenges who they are as a human being? But sometimes, and we know, one day we will get a perfected body. One day we will get perfection. One day the presence of sin will leave and we will all celebrate with one another. And I will be so excited to see how I play basketball in heaven with a perfect will. Did I let my children win or do we fight it out to see who is athletically superior? I don't know. The Bible doesn't teach me that. But what I do know is this. Until that day comes, we lean into God's spirit and we try as much as we can to live like citizens of heaven in a broken world. We must, we must strive for that. We must not allow the world to see no difference in our lives because of Christ. What an insult to our savior that our world is unaffected by him. So I challenge you this week, man, read the Sermon on the Mount. Be reminded of a high standard that Christ calls people to. It will alter your picture of how you view righteousness. It is good, it is holy, and it is perfect. Now, how, 
How does all this affect our prayer life? This is a series on prayer. How does this affect our prayer life? Now, I will tell you, this is one of my favorite parts about prayer. It's one of my favorite parts. I am so strongly, my children hear me say more than any other phrase, you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. I constantly, constantly am reminding people, well, I don't want to ask. They won't, they won't do this. Or I don't want to ask. I already know the answer is no. You have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. And sometimes what we're asking about is we're asking for God to open up that safe a little bit. And we know in an everyday circumstance, in everyday living, it can feel like that'll never happen. But the promise that God gives to us is when we pray, he hears, and when we pray, he may act. Now, I gotta, I gotta challenge you with something. Anybody ever been in a small group and uh, it's not, it doesn't go good? Like you ask a bunch of questions. You know, as a pastor, you go into a small group and there's a certain pressure on you to, something's gotta shake the room, like Paul's prison shook, right? You're, you're looking for God to do something in somebody's heart every time you get in a small group. And sometimes you ask the questions, nobody really says anything, and then you go home. Anybody ever been there before? Anybody been there before? Okay, goodness gracious. <laughs> I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> I need more training. Uh, listen, we were, in, we were in small group in the first week of this series, and we asked the question, how has God been a father to you? And multiple women of the couples that were there were apologizing because they were getting emotional. But story after story after story of God's providential care in their life. So I'm just going to share a couple. Okay, one guy in my group, he uh, we had this we had this kid that we heard about who had this what they thought was going to be an inoperable tumor so close to an artery that if the surgeons missed if they messed up this kid's life is over. I believe he was four years old. We didn't know this kid. This kid was not a part of our church. But there's some sometimes in your life with God. There's sometimes where God puts a need in front of you, and you feel the responsibility to pray about it. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that, but we felt that, me and, me and a few buddies. Well, I felt it. We went and prayed, but then this, this man in my small group, he went home and he felt again, God's telling me to go back and pray for this little boy. So he shows back up to the hospital. The parents, the family are going, so now remind me of what you do at the church. And he goes, I show up most Sundays. That's what I do at the church. <laughs> I'm, I'm an attender. That's what I do. And they're like, oh, I thought you worked at the church. He's like, nope, <laughs> that was the other guy. I'm just, a, I'm a guy that shows up. That's what I do. But God has told me I need to pray for your family. And so he prayed. Now remember, this is a tumor that's close to an artery. This is a dangerous situation for a little boy. Surgeon comes out and he goes, when I cut him open, the tumor basically jumped out of this kid's body. We didn't have to do surgery. The tumor just came out. Praise the Lord. Okay. Second, we got a lady in our group, been around Brookwood forever. Lady in our group, she gets a cancer diagnosis. Scary time, very scary time. She goes to the doctor. The doctor says, I have my spidey sense is going off. I think this is, this is a bad one. It's gonna spread. We gotta do something fast. 
She looked at the surgeon. She said, we're not talking about that. We're committing to God in prayer. We're going to pray over this. We're not going to speak about that again. And the surgeon said, okay, I won't mention it ever again. So they prayed. In their small group at that particular time, they had written out prayers, and one of the members of that small group wrote out a faithful prayer that God would allow that cancer not to spread, that it would not get any larger, that the tumor would not get any larger, and that ultimately she would go into remission. Every one of those prayers in that written prayer came to fruition. Listen, I believe, I believe, I believe God is still working on this planet. And in the midst, listen to me, church, in the midst of that safe, not being fully open yet, we pray and we ask God to give us a glimpse of his kingdom here on earth today. We pray that he opens up the safe, that Jesus comes down and he reigns on the earth. We absolutely pray for that. And we submit our will to God's will. But in the midst of that submission, in the midst of that waiting, we ask God to do something today. We ask him to save our family members who've gone astray. We ask him to literally, physically heal the people in our lives. We ask for illnesses that have been present in someone's life forever. We ask for those things to be fully healed. We ask for people who have special needs one day when we see them in heaven and they are smiling and celebrating the gifts of God as a good king who loves his people, we will celebrate that those needs are gone. And those men and women will testify to the goodness of our Savior. But we pray, we pray and we ask. And I just wonder how many things we miss out on because we do not ask our good father and our king who is all powerful to do something. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna just talk about everybody else's stories. And listen to me, those stories are fantastic and we should celebrate them. But God, will you give us more of you God, will you make yourself so tangibly known that when people walk around our campus, they feel the presence of your spirit here. And when people come down front, they know that they are talking to a God who loves them and who can do something. And listen to me, church. Some of you in here, listen, some of you in here, you've presented your request to God and you are fatigued you are fatigued. Allow us as a church to bind you up. Allow us to get there and pray with you. Allow us to love on you. Allow us to pray. Allow us to talk to our Father on your behalf. So what does it mean that the kingdom of God and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We get a picture of the safe being opened up. We get to experience a manifestation of his glory here on the planet. Tony Evans says it this way, when we pray, we are calling down to earth what God has already planned in heaven. When we pray, our awareness of God's kingdom and what is already available to us should grow. And listen, we need God's perfection. We need his sacrifice. We need his provision. We need his forgiveness. We need that. And God offers it to us. And so we pray and we grab a hold of these blessings that God has made manifest to us. But when we pray, we should also intercede for other people. When God pricks our heart with a need, we should grab it. 
and we should be unrelenting in our request to him. It is shocking to me that one of the, the pictures that Jesus gave of prayer is knocking on somebody's door in the middle of the night. If you knock on my door in the middle of the night, I am not coming to greet you with a holy kiss. But Jesus said, this is how you pray. Annoy the fire out of me. I believe he meant that. I believe a good father loves the request of his children and never tires of them. So we pray. And listen, we pray and we know that God's kingdom is happening in a hidden and secret and lowly way, but we ask for him to do it and not to tarry. Hurry up, God. Please hurry up. Heal our friends. Heal our family. These needs give me overwhelming spiritual joy in the midst of a circumstance that does not merit it. Give me energy to continue. We pray for those held in bondage. We pray for healing. We pray for nations and their leaders. We pray for Christ to come again. And we pray to experience more of the fullness of a citizen of heaven. And when we pray, we ask God to finish his mission. We pray for him to throw down the king of this world once and for all. We pray that all who may know God come to know God and that we can be caught up in glory, that we can experience the benefit of the kingdom of heaven every single moment of every single day. Christ is coming again, and God is exercising loving patience towards those who have not given their lives. But brothers and sisters, we better pray, and we better share the good news of the kingdom of God. I want him back today. Today, maybe that's you. Maybe you need someone to pray for you. That's why we have every single Sunday we're here, people down front and people in the Care Connection room, and they want to lift you up. Today, you might need someone to help you. You may feel alone in your prayers. Some of you may need prayers for healing. Some of you may need prayers for a family member who's far from God. Some of you may just want to pray, just period. You just want to pray with somebody. I hope and pray that God continues to grow you and our church in how we pray. I fully believe that that safe begins to be unlocked more and more as we pray. I fully believe that. Are you willing to submit to the will of God your Father? Are you willing to pray? Let's pray. God, we love you. And Lord, I know as we sing even this morning that you will never fail. Sometimes we sing that trusting but not seeing. Sometimes we sing that knowing but not knowing. And Lord, I pray today over our church. I pray, Lord, that they would experience relational intimacy with you in a way they've never felt, that you would comfort them in a way they've never felt. God, that you would provide in ways they never could have asked or imagined. Lord, you are good. But God, we also want to see your goodness. We are frail and weak creatures. We want more of you, God. Please come to this earth. Please come. Don't tarry. Don't wait, God. Please come. And God, while, while we're waiting on you, grow us, Lord. Grow us. Change us. Make us your representatives in every area of our life. And I pray, God, that the world would be changed by you through our prayers and through our lives. It's in the name of Christ we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for being here. Praise God for his sovereignty, that he has supreme power and authority. 
Share your priorities this week with your spouse, parents, a friend, or someone in your small group. Pray for each other, asking God to refocus your priorities to align with His will and build His kingdom. There is a daily devotional based off our current series, Jesus at the Center of Prayer. Spend time with God each day with this daily devotional, which is available on the new Brookwood Church app. Thank you for listening to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast today. We value your thoughts, so we kindly ask for you to leave a review. Your insights can significantly help others discover the potential of having life transformation through Christ. We appreciate your participation today and look forward to you joining us during our next episode.